Wow. I am very honored to be here this morning. We as a Amago Day contemplative prayer group have used your sanctuary on one Saturday of the month, and so um, we got to know this section quite well. So thank you for letting our group participate in that way. So I will just start over. I'm honored to be here this morning to participate in the series on spiritual formation that Ariel has prepared for you. This series is an invitation to reflect on God's work in our lives through the Holy Spirit, through such ways as listening prayer, Lexio Divina, worship, serving, and sacrifice. What makes this exciting is that you will have a variety of preachers sharing their insights with you. While the topics may be familiar to you, I think you will find that the series will, take, will truly take a spiritual formation approach. That is, instead of hearing about things that you have to do to be more like Jesus, you will likely hear much more about listening to Jesus or how to let Scripture speak to us in different ways. Now, if this series grabs your attention, I encourage you to have coffee with Ariel to find out more about her own journey into spiritual formation. And by the way, that is an unpaid, non-political announcement for Ariel. <laughs> but truthfully, when you hear people's stories, that's, that for me is always like number one. I, I want to know what, how it happened. So I encourage you. And maybe Ariel might even buy the coffee. I don't know. <laughs> so today, this is the first sermon in the series. An overarching look at how God works in the formation and transformation of our lives. And I hope that these words, formation and transformation, are not new to you, but I would just make a note in your mental uh, pad to say, I got to remember that those words, very important. We'll be looking at Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 to 6, and a few passages in 2 Corinthians chapters 3, 4, and 5. But first, Let's assume that you don't know much about spiritual formation. And so you might be thinking to yourself right now, well, what is spiritual formation? And at its most basic level, I suppose, you could say that spiritual formation is not something that we choose to do or not to do. All people are formed and transformed spiritually. That is, we all have spirits, and those spirits are the source of our wills, our emotions, our desires. Our experiences and choices shape that will and emotion and desire. So just like how we eat or exercise physically shapes our bodies, for better or for worse, so 
so does what we read, watch, and experience shape our spirits. But we're specifically talking about Christian spiritual formation. When we allow God to shape and to form us, the process by which we become more like Jesus. And a verse that describes what this is like comes from Romans 6.19 in the message. It says it like this. You can, you can readily recall, can't you, how at one time you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom that you had? And how much different is it now as you live in God's freedom, your lives healed and expansive in holiness? Several months before I retired from the forensic psychiatric hospital, and uh, I hope that somebody will stop me if I start talking too much about forensic because I can't stop. There are lots of stories that come out of there. But before I retired, I took time to reflect on my life. I called it a life review. And I asked myself the question, what were the events that had shaped my life in a powerful way? I want to share three of those, and I, I, you know, you have to really trim down, okay? So the first event that shaped my life was my seminary experience. There I learned the basic tools that I would use, that I would need to preach and teach from the Bible, to learn where I fit into the theological scheme of church life, and to worship as a community of men and women who sought God's presence in their lives. I've always been deeply grateful for the men and women who taught me. The second event, cover your ears, Marcia, was my marriage to Marcia. And this August, we will celebrate 44 years of marriage. She is my love, my companion, and my best critic. At one time, she thought I was a great preacher. Now, well, okay, just leave that one. The third experience was a year I spent in Alcoholics Anonymous, attending meetings and listening to people's stories. I got this opportunity because when we moved to Coquitlam, it was to plant a church. And the real estate agent that sold us our house, which is up by Mond that was up by Mundy Park on Midvale Street, was a recovering alcoholic. And when he learned I was a minister going to plant a church, he said, I want to improve my spirituality. So we agreed to meet every Friday morning for breakfast. And I listened as he took me on his journey. He took me to his weekly group on Cameron Street. The group was called The Journey Continues, where I listened to the stories of people who had hit bottom 
and we're working hard to find an alternative to addiction. I learned by listening and, and reflecting on the 12 steps that they were really exercises the kind of which you will be looking at over the next seven weeks. And these exercises weren't rules or regulations. They were exercises to be exercised in your life. And I realized that when they exercised these steps, they took away addiction's ability to grab hold in people's lives. I was privileged to watch people's lives being transformed one day at a time. Well, spiritual formation is also, also like what I told couples whose marriages I performed. I would say in a few moments you will be officially married. You can't be any more married than you will be today. And you will spend a lifetime learning what it means to be married. Think about spiritual formation in that way. A Bible verse that captures this so well is 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away, and everything has become new. We are made new, and yet we know that newness doesn't come fully and automatically. It's a daily decision we make to follow Jesus and to allow the Holy Spirit to shape our lives. So it's God's transforming work to making us more like him. And we also have a critical role to play in letting the Holy Spirit shape our lives. When we talk about spiritual formation, we're talking about the ways we can position ourselves to be formed. With that in mind, let's turn to Jeremiah 18 and read verses 1 to 6. And I'm going to... There we go. Okay. Jeremiah 18. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled. And I love another translation that says, was marred. Was marred in the potter's hand. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Am I not able, house of Israel, to deal with you as this potter does? Declares the Lord. 
Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, house of Israel. Jeremiah was a prophet who God had called to be the loyal opposition to the king and his court. Jeremiah lived during a turbulent time in the history of Israel. He watched the downfall of Israel. He saw the Babylonians burn Jerusalem to the ground and saw most of Israel led away into exile. Chapter 18 begins with the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. Jeremiah's visit to the potter's house is a word picture, an allegory that would allow Jeremiah to understand what God was about and what God would do to this nation. So he went. From a spiritual formation viewpoint, Jeremiah uses a basic practice. Silence. He watches the potter and waits to hear from God. Silence and listening are essential for our transformation. However, and it might be a cliche to say this, we live noisy and distracted lives. Have you all turned off your cell phones? We're checking our cell phones frequently and texting back to make sure our friends know we're there. But I have to say, I'm easily distracted. And while I was writing this sermon, I might likely have stopped preparing and find my heart's game to distract myself. When I first became a part of Imago Day that Ariel has joined, and by the way, Lisa too, I, I hope Lisa's here this morning. Um, when we joined the prayer group, and I'd been a, a minister for, you know, over 20-some years, so did I know everything? I didn't want to be arrogant. But I nearly panicked when I heard the leader say, now we will go into silence for 20 minutes. 20 minutes? I can't do that. And the truth is this. For the first year, I oftentimes slept during silence. Or, you know, I, I was fidgeting. It took a lot of practice. But to practice silence is learning to be with someone. Two words I want you to add to your list of formation and transformation. Being with. When I'm with Marcia, I don't have an agenda. We, we're with each other. As a chaplain, 
my practice would be to go on, and I'll just say it, I was on the A ward, the remand ward. Their coffee would start at 10 o'clock. So that was my first stop. I would come onto the ward and I would look and I would wait till I saw a patient sitting by himself. And I would come over and say, can I join you? And almost always they'd say, sure, have a seat. And then I listened. I was with them. I, I will tell one quick story. One morning, there was a fellow, his name was Raymond. And Raymond kind of scared me. And I came over and I asked Raymond if I could join him. And I was, uh, do you mind if I join you? He just said, sure. And I said, uh, where are you from, Raymond? He said, uh, well, near Delta. Really? You lived in a group home in Delta? No, he said, I lived under a bridge. I stopped. I said, Raymond, hold on. I'm going to need to hear this. I got my coffee. I went from being a chaplain to a very curious or interested person. And I just sat there and I listened as he told me his story. Silence invites us to be with God. Not so much to tell God our stories, which I assume he already knows, but rather for us to listen to God and find out what God wants to say to us. On my first visit to the Coquitlam Crunch, which, as you know, is just up the road or down the road from here, I went with a friend, and before we started, he asked me not to talk to him during the walk. And again, I was like, I'm in the presence of a giant. I got, oh, no problem, no problem. And then I went, but why? He said, I want to listen for God. No problem. Okay. On our way down, I asked him, and this is a bit cheeky on my part, and, but I sincerely meant it, what did God say to you? At first, he didn't want to say. But then he said he shared what he thought God was speaking to him. I have learned to walk in silence, too. Well, if you think that spiritual formation, again, are rules or exercises to just make you, you know, that go up the crunch and everything, you need to stay tuned. Because the second part of the story is this. And this is what really struck me. And when we sit or stand in silence, listening as Jeremiah did, we suddenly focus much more clearly, not on everything going around us, but on what's happening in front of us.
And Jeremiah noticed that the potter's vessel was marred, was marred. And anybody who's worked with clay can understand what this means. It means that somehow the clay has developed a crack or a split. Now, if you haven't worked with clay, but you've baked bread, you will know what I mean. When you're getting your dough and, and you've got that little thing in the front, when you bake it, it becomes a lot bigger. I speak from experience, by the way. Now, that means that the potter saw that this article, this clay pot, was damaged and essentially useless. And here is where spiritual formation takes a hard right turn. From, a for, from being a formula for creating triumphant Christians to a process of God working out the marred parts of our lives. I'm still naive about our humanity. So I was surprised when I learned that a classmate of mine from seminary had been disciplined for a gambling addiction, or that a youth pastor was let go because he'd left the church's computer at a porn website. I feel like the title of Cornelius, Cornelius Plantiga's book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. He writes compassionately about sin and its impact on our lives. And for this reason, I struggle to understand 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. All things have become new. This can't be new, I say. And the only, or the best answer that I can give myself is, I'm in process. God's work of spiritual formation doesn't shy away from sin or sinfulness in Christians. In fact, it shines a spotlight on areas of our lives that need attention. C.S. Lewis, in his fictional book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, begins the book with this introductory sentence, and he introduces us to the main character, Eustace. And he writes, there was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. Eustace was arrogant and self-centered, and through the power of fiction, he became a dragon, and is finally redeemed when Asland the lion tears his scales off with his claws. That's what spiritual formation does in our lives. Some of the formation that is required is not 
transformation out of our own sinfulness, our greed or pride or whatever, but a transformation out of how we have been formed by the maredness of others. I'm reading a good presentation of this in Rich Volotis's book, The Deeply Formed Life. And I recommend that book to you. Rich Volotis is a pastor for 30 years in Brooklyn, New York. And um, his church has been really quite an experience. In his chapter on interior self-examination, he writes that when we look at our family of origin issues, that is, how we were raised, there are three categories we need to be aware of. Patterns, trauma, and scripts. Patterns are ways that we learn to be from our parents or extended family. My grandmother's father, my great-grandfather, essentially, was an alcoholic. My grandma was a wonderful Christian who had found new life in Christ. Yet, she and her sisters all married men who were alcoholics. That's a pattern that my grandma didn't recognize when she married. Or trauma. Our niece is a counselor in Ontario whose clientele is comprised mostly of young women who've experienced unwanted sexual behavior. They have been traumatized. Or scripts. These are messages we received growing up that told us how we should be. My script went like this. My father was a minister. And one day my mother said to me, Tim, don't do anything that would embarrass your father's ministry. Now that's quite a responsibility for a 12-year-old boy. Wow, I could have... I had that kind of power? So, but I got the message, don't misbehave in any way. Well, that script worked its way into my psyche and came out like this. It said, I don't dare share my inner thoughts with people because that might be embarrassing. So they remained hidden in my mind. I learned to hide parts of myself. But Jeremiah's visit to the potter's house doesn't leave us without the good news of the hope of the gospel. So the potter formed the clay into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. I love that. <laughs> Suddenly, Jeremiah understood what this, what this visit was about. It was about God and what God could and would do with the nation of Israel. Israel was clay in the hands of the potter creator. 
This is good news. We have a loving master potter who's committed to forming us. But we're not passive participants. We are clay required to stay on the potter's wheel, so to speak, so that God can transform us as he sees best. This is the other part of spiritual formation. Now, this is a balance that we humans find difficult to find. Sometimes our unconscious approach to spiritual formation is something like this. Thanks for saving me, God, through no work or effort of my own. That's grace. Everybody agrees, right? Now comes the second part. But I know the rest is up to me now. So I'm going to work very hard. Well, that's one of the stories we tell ourselves. Sometimes we're too passive, and we don't take responsibility for our spiritual lives, though that is less common. Or is it? We have to remember that God is the potter, and we are the clay. And what's the clay's job? To stay on the wheel, to stay silent and in position to be formed. Here's a picture, and I hope it's going to come up. It's a beautiful picture that Ariel created. There it is. It shows six different aspects to the potter's wheel. Six tools we see in the New Testament that God uses through the Holy Spirit to form us to be like him. Those are the tools you'll be looking at throughout the series. But... Who does the work? God. This is the balance that Paul expresses beautifully in an earlier passage in 2 Corinthians 3.17 to 4.2. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who've had that veil removed, that is Paul's talking about the works-based law of Moses, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. Do you see that wonderful balance? The Lord makes us more like him. We can't earn it through works. And since he has given us this new way, we never give up. We do the things we need to do to stay in intimate relationship with him, listening in those places where he can form us. I would imagine if you 
had a spouse or a significant friend who you never talked to, really. And yet you go, well, yeah, no, we're, we're in a relationship. But what kind? And that's what this balance is about. It's not about works. It's the grace that God does in our lives and our response to desiring more of it. Now, Richard Foster, who's a very well-known writer on spirituality, he writes it, he puts it this way. It's the renovation of the heart we are after in spiritual formation. This inward work is much harder than mere outward conformity. It's harder because we can't see it, test it, or control it. We can't program the heart of another human being. We can't program our own heart. But this is also what makes it easier. God is the one who sees the heart. God is the one who tenderly programs the heart, always allowing time and space for our will to turn, 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 responding in a thousand ways to God's divine love. We are part of God's great renovation project for human beings. And here's, I love this. I, I came, I, I mean, I read it this morning and it just struck me kind of for the first time. He says, we work, but we work resting. I've underlined that three times. We work resting. We worship and labor under God's abiding grace. That's about as good an explanation of the balance that we're talking about here that I have found. That's the good news about our life in relationship with Jesus Christ. We're invited to go to the potter's shed and watch as Jesus works us into the shape he thinks is best for us. Jesus desires us to be real, to be genuine, to learn what it means to be created in the image of God. Spiritual formation isn't so much a program of how to as much as it is a way to learn to sit in God's presence, listening for his words. The Apostle Paul expresses it beautifully this way later in 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Then he goes on to describe both our humanity and our power. Yes, we are hard-pressed, but we're not crushed. Yes, we can be perplexed, but we don't despair. We carry around the death of Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. 
And that is what spiritual formation is about. Henry Nouwen, another great writer about spiritual life, calls spiritual formation the shaping of the human heart or deepest self through intentional spiritual practices leading to communion, community, and compassion in the world. The outflow of our spiritual formation, we experience God's power and his freedom in our own lives to bring communion, fellowship, community, what we have here, and compassion to the world. We've read 2 Corinthians 5:17 a number of times. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But Paul goes on in verse 18 and following to say, all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The work of spiritual formation is not to look right on the outside. Unfortunately, that was how the script worked in my mind. But it's to be formed like Christ on the inside and then through the Spirit to be Christ to the world around us. Where are you at today on this journey? Now, the fact that you are here this morning suggests you're on the journey. Here are some practical challenges to consider as you leave here today. First, how are you being spiritually formed? It may never have occurred to you before that the things that you do or read or watch have the power to shape your desire, your will, and your thoughts, your spirit. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So you may want to ask the Holy Spirit to show you his perspective on how you are being formed. Is it into the world or into Christ? Secondly, if you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and want to be more like him, have you considered whether your desire to be more like Christ compels you to do more to be like him? Is your effort to be holy all about pulling yourself up by the bootstraps? Or is it to surrender to the potter's wheel? Are you allowing the tools we see in the image to shape you? I have to tell you what really impressed me at AA in the meetings was when somebody came back to report they had relapsed, full of shame, full of guilt. <laughs> I get choked up. They, 
Welcome back. Glad to have you. It was incredible. And it, to be there and see that, it's, it's remarkable. We don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but to surrender and practice these exercises, we become more Christ-like. And we trust that our community will be more Christ-like. Thirdly, and finally, if you're following Jesus and are surrendering to his spiritual formation in your life, are you taking seriously the role of ambassador to the world? I have to be honest, I read over this very quickly. I didn't pay too much attention to it, okay? Till this morning, when I got down my book by Rich Volatis, Deeply Formed Spiritual Life, and I looked in the table of contents at the last two chapters, which I need to read, and the title of the chapter just smacked me right in the face. It is... The last, the last chapter, it says, um, see if I can, um, distracted, oh, missional practice in a distracted and disengaged world. I went, missional pra presence in a distracted and disengaged world. And now this third point jumped out at me. Are we taking seriously the role of ambassador to the world? You may want to sit with Jesus and ask, how can you take on the ministry of reconciling this broken world to the wonderful saving presence of Jesus? You know, it's, it's not a big thing, but I have to tell you what happened to me on Friday. I live in Port Coquitlam. A new value village has opened up. So timely, we're moving in two weeks. We helped stock their store. And um, because uh, I was going over there on a daily basis, some of the employees recognized facial recognition. And so this morning when I came out, this gentleman came up to me and he said, hey, I want to thank you. And uh, I, oh, I said, you remember me? And he said, oh, yes. And I said, well, you're the violinist, aren't you? And he said, well, yeah. I said, well, is it helpful? He said, well, not really. He said, um, you know, and I said, well, how, how, have you, how often do you play? And he said, well, I don't have much time. And I have to tell you, he, he, I could tell that he was not a Canadian-speaking person. And I said, oh. He said, well, I've only been in the country three months. Oh, where are you from? You probably haven't heard of it. I'm Kurdish. Oh, I said, oh, I've heard of it. You have good soldiers there. They fight well. Thank you. He said, but that's why I left the country. <laughs> and uh, I, I said to him, so how's it going for you? Three months. And I, I won't go into the whole thing, but I just want to tell you, I said to him, I want to give you my name and phone number and email address. Call me. Now, that's kind of what I do. But I'm hoping that, I, I can't quite pronounce his name, Dayao, Dayao, Kurdish gentleman. But I left there and I went, thank you, Lord. 
Maybe he needs a friend. Maybe he has very little money. He doesn't have stuff. Anyway, to be a missional presence, we don't have to go around the world. Just go down to your local valley village. Well, thank you. And I've gone over time, Ariel, I know. Uh, once you let me loose, that's a danger. May this series of spiritual formation exercises become food for your soul and energy for your life. So let's go. Amen. <laughs>